Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weidrich. Howdy, Noah. How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself, Dave? Uh, warm, but good. <laughs> it being summertime. Absolutely. That is our general condition, I'd say, for the next couple of months. Um, one of my favorite cure-alls for that kind of condition is a ice-cold Negroni, of course. Uh, very fine drink. I also like uh, to mix myself uh, when I'm feeling very hot, a massive Americano, which is, you know, more or less the progenitor of the Negroni. So just vermouth and Campari or some Italian bitter in a huge tall glass. Talking about the Negroni, there's obviously a connection between the Americano and the Negroni. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks, you probably heard a lot about the Negroni. It's, you know, famously Negroni week. It's also the 100th anniversary of the supposed creation of the drink. Um, so, you know, Negronis have definitely been on our mind oh, yeah. uh, the last few days. Dave obviously wrote a, a fabulous history of the drink that we published at the beginning of the month, hoping kind of to stem um, <laughs> <laughs> all of the erroneous um, takes on the history of the drink. And, you know, I think we were sort of successful because we got it out there early. And yeah. what you say is how it is. I mean, that's that that's it. I mean, like for me and, and, and really for our readers and for our industry, you know, if, I think if if this is the history according to Dave Wondrich, then it is basically the history of the drink. That's no. a little bit frightening. But no pressure on you. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. No, 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 no. Well, I, I mean, what I what I try to do when I do the history of these drinks is I try to get everything documented. So it's you know there is a piece of paper from the time that says right, yes. and then you you know you fill in between the missing pieces. You you. You sketch in what you can, but and but there's always, always pieces there. And least. you're always digging and doing research. And I know with some of these things, you know, it takes time to develop, you know, the full history. And oh, some of them is extremely complicated. Yeah, and, and you know, you got to look into a lot of different places. But uh, and we you and, can get there. And I think within the Groni, it's typical of most cocktails where you have a lot of myth and legend, right? You have kernels of truth along the way, right? And and people have made a lot of assumptions or false histories about the drink um yeah, they're, they're they're competing written. stories right. there's, there's, there's all that stuff and there's and you know some of these things there's an evolution that mm -hmm. you know may or may not go certain ways there's i guess in our own industry i don't know when we have our creationists versus our uh you know, paleontologists <laughs> here for the macaroni it's almost that vicious it, it really is um, uh, it's true it's true people get stuck on their stories and they don't want to change that you know, we published your story, and then I guess what, like a week later, the New York Times wrote a story in their op-ed pages. Um, you know, the Week in Review. Somebody wrote a column. You know, kind of an ode to the Negroni. Unfortunately, also included some erroneous history of the Negroni, some false information also about the French seventy-five. Although we let 
We let that slide. We'll let that slide. Yeah. One battle at a time. One battle at a time. But, but um, some erroneous um, or Negronius um, information about the Negroni, and you know, well, ultimately they, you know, as 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 much as the times will do, they kind of essentially, you know, they walked back the cat and said, "Yes, okay, right." And they linked to your article saying, "Okay, like you know, this has been widely reported as being this way, but Dave Weinrich says it's this way, so." We'll take his words, yeah. <laughs> or at least we'll uh, we'll stop arguing. Right, or we, we this is <laughs> yeah. what he says. Yeah, right? this is what he says. Um, you know, blame it on him. I know that we could probably be here for two days talking about the Negroni. Maybe the shorthand version, as you see it, of its yeah. I mean, the shorthand the version. It the story of its creation is always given is that uh, uh, Count Camilo Negroni, who was in fact a count. There's some guy in France who says he wasn't. Because he doesn't want him to be, <laughs> he says the Italians have no nobility. Also, so so I, I'm not very pleased with him. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, anyway, so, so let's, without without yeah, let's arguing leave that about aside. whether or not there's royalty yeah, in Italy. Yeah, yeah. So oh. Count Negroni uh, <laughs> walks into his bar in uh, in Florence and asks for his usual americano. An americano was a popular drink in Italy at the right. time. An americano was uh, vermouth, Italian vermouth, a bitter. Like Campari or right. Select, or there are many sure. other brands that and always have been with ice and soda in a little small glass. It was just this little thing that you you drank, and it the name comes from uh, when Italy, after it's reunified in uh, the eighteen sixties, the Regimento, the yeah, the Regimento, exactly, the Victor Emmanuel, and, and suddenly they've got a king and they've got like investment, right. and they start some of these local companies start exporting. And one of the things they start exporting in quantity to America is vermouth. Right. A little bit had come in before that, but now it starts coming in quantity. And Americans are like, hey, this stuff's useful. What if I make a cocktail out of it? You know, we right. make cocktails out of everything. So you dash some bitters in it and uh, stir it around and strain it into a glass and drink it. And you go, oh, that's good. Word of that gets back to Italy and the Italians go, well, shit, we got nothing but bitters here. <laughs> you know, let's try that. And they go, you know, that's not bad. And you wrote a whole story about that, I guess, maybe. I don't know, yeah, it's wild, talking about yeah, that sort yeah. of idea, and I kind of yeah. love it that, like, yeah. you know, where everybody always talks about authentic drinks and cocktails, yeah, and, yeah. you know, or, or food or whatever, and it's, it's not know, <laughs> this amazing thing where, yeah. you know, the most Italian drink is created because they yeah. send something to America, then America sends it back, yeah. and they put their twist on something that we put our twist on, thinking that I that's mean, what the is whole trying. The whole Negroni story is this right. continuous feedback loop between right. Italy and America on I how to drink it. these I things, yeah. you know, and so this is how it starts. So Count Negroni walks into his bar in Florence and asks the bartender, Fusco Scarcelli, who's died in, you know, not too long ago. It must have one of the best bartender names. Oh, I know. Ever. I know. Fosco Scarcelli. Right. Sono Fosco Scarcelli. Exactly. You know, it's perfect. Right. Mi chiamo Fosco. Right. You know, I'm Fosco. Right. It's, it's good. It's good. I, I mean, you want him as your bartender. Absolutely. And uh, so... I have to do my voicemail message. Um, <laughs> right. So the count goes in, and, and uh, the thing, the weird thing about him, part of this feedback loop, is he'd been in America for a long time. Right. He went in the 1890s and was there for 10 years. Which, again, is not unusual. No, right? I mean, no, like, people, a lot of Italian immigrants actually went back, and, and as for, opposed to some of the other waves of immigration. Right. Because they could. They weren't persecuted. Right, and also, you know? I mean, we see, like, a lot of bartenders doing, like, almost like a, yeah. a, what we'd call, like, an internship, almost, at yeah, like yeah. the Hoffman House or something, yeah. or, you know, under Jerry Thomas. Yeah, there's a lot back of and back and forth. And forth yeah. But, so this... 
this guy, you know, he he was an Italian count, but he goes to America and he goes out west. As an Italian count, he knew how to ride horses. Right. So he goes to where you ride horses in America. Take that French guy. Yeah. yeah. And he goes to uh, to uh, Montana and then Alberta and spends about five years as a cowboy, wow. like punching cows right. on huge ranches. What the hell? Why not? And then after that, he goes to New York and uh, he's a gambler, like a professional gambler there. Again, you know, Italian aristocrat. Right. And that, that class tended to do that sort of thing. Right. And to support himself when he loses, he teaches fencing. Because <laughs> he knew how to fight with swords. Of course he does. So, and he spoke English. His, his right. mother had been English. About 1905, he goes back to Italy. And then about 1915, he moves into the center of Florence. And sometime after that, he asked this guy for, you know, can you put some gin in my Americano? That's exactly what everybody in New York was drinking. Right. Gin, bitters, vermouth. Right. We called that a martini. We didn't put the soda in it. Right. But he's saying, you know... I want this to be a little bit stronger. The Italians right. didn't like things that strong. That's the genesis of this drink, right? Which is also kind of interesting because you, you see two drinks as yeah. like the Negroni and the Martini mm -hmm. or the Manhattan as being three separate almost families yeah. of cocktails. But they're really not. Right. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's like you, you know, you put all of the yeah. you know, transparencies yeah, on yeah. top of each other and suddenly it's like the same diet. Yeah, yeah. There are little bumps right. on this one and bumps on yeah, that one, you know. Martini, much less bitters. Sure. Uh, Negroni, much more bitters. Plus, they add the soda and ice. Right, and but and but back in the day, like in the late eighteen hundreds, don't we also see what like some bartenders now call like the inverted Manhattan or oh, yeah. Martini, where oh, yeah. it's like more vermouth or exactly. less gin or yeah, proportions vermouth, you know? were movable. Plus, there were such things as like martini highballs, right? You know, that were based on martinis, right. which is basically okay. How's that not? You know, right. in in Negroni territory. Although I've never, to be honest, I've never really thought about that. Like yeah. the Negroni being connected to the Martini in the Manhattan, like mind blown. Like, yeah, but it, it's yeah. you know, it's 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 this class of drinks that's, right. that's been like the number one class of drinks right. in among drinking folk in the world since eighteen eighties. Right, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> essentially, right. And it's always been on top. And the Negroni has just been like recently roped in, like on the top yeah. tier. And I think that's what's funny about the Negroni is that town orders it in 1915. Yeah, yeah. or it's probably closer 19, to like 1919. Right. I mean, obviously, yeah. Campari now says yeah. 1919 because it's nice for the 100th anniversary yeah. this year. So we'll say around. But we don't have an exact date for that. Right. Sure. I mean, yeah. it could have been last year, it could be yeah, this year. Exactly. Somewhere. But we're around, this, mm -hmm. around the century mark. But then it kind of dies, right? I mean, it's yeah. Not in Italy, like... it goes it goes underground, right? right. It doesn't. It it's just and there's no and there's no prohibition there, obviously no. in Italy. I mean, but what there is is there's fascism, right? And the fascists uh, didn't like that cafe society right. where everybody's just you know hanging out and not working. Right. They wanted Italians to be like efficient, right? And you know that's that's a lot of work, uh, right? And so there, there was a lot there was a lot of uh, kind of soft cultural right. repression there where it's like you no you know you you have to uh go around strutting around and being like like a roman legionnaire or something which was was mussolini's idea for the country which is pretty dumb right but uh that's what it was that whole part of italian society suffers yeah and there's, there's only one cocktail book published in italy uh the time of fascism that i know right. of and that was in 1936 and it was published by a Swiss. Huh. And it took him about four years to get it published. Yeah. So, you know, it's like they they just really weren't buying in. The, the word cocktail was banned. 
you could see on the cover of this book from 1936, it used to say a thousand cocktails and uh, they overprinted cocktails with this word, the Italian word for mixtures. Huh. Because they couldn't, they, they couldn't call it yeah. cocktails. Unbelievable. You know, you couldn't publish it with that right. word. So, uh, because Mussolini wanted to get rid of all foreign uh, languages, right. you know, he wanted everybody to be speaking pure Italian. So they made up all these words for stuff that had foreign names. Uh, those words are all forgotten. Now. Right. You know, the Italians, yeah. the Italians aren't, aren't like, you know, France. They have the Academy that says what words are French and what aren't. The Italians don't care about that kind of thing. <laughs> they're they're fine. But the the idea of mixing Campari with uh, spirits and vermouth is still strong. It's just not called a Negroni. Right. And where you see it the most is in Paris. Huh. And uh, there's lots of drinks doing that. Campari had a big presence in Paris. Yeah. And there are many different. There's the Boulevardier, the Old Pal, right. uh, all these others, Lucien Godin, all these cocktails yeah. and. But, you know, none of them really have a lot of traction after about 1934. And there are a lot of competitors, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the French have all their own aperitifs and exactly. aperitif cocktails. And, and, like, France and, and Italy start falling yeah. out around in, in the early 1930s. Right. And suddenly Italian stuff is not so fashionable. Right. And this stuff dries up without really having any uh, heritage. Right. You know, it doesn't pass anything on. It was just this moment in Paris. But it's interesting to me is that there were plenty of Americans in Paris, and they could have brought this idea back to America. Oh, yeah. We had Campari here. Sure. Uh, even during Prohibition, they shipped it over here illegally, but whatever. And uh, we had, uh, obviously, vermouth and gin and things like that. And uh, Americans brought other Parisian drinks back. Right. They brought back the sidecar uh, from Paris, and it was very popular over here. 1937 you don't hear anything of that. So I don't think the country yeah. was ready for it. It didn't have yeah. any reason. Do you think it's also that, like, so many of the immigrants to America from Italy were from southern Italy? And was it maybe not a drink, like, in southern it wasn't Italy? Very, it wasn't yeah. popular down there. But it mostly never caught on in America at this period because there was no reason. You know, yeah. it was just another drink. Yeah. It, there was no—it had no glamour to it. I mean, also, like, I mean, we're, like, in the throes of the Depression. Yeah. You know, it's expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it's— you know, right about, I mean, obviously prohibition is mm -hmm. happening and people aren't, you know, sitting there mixing up aperitifs. They no, want, not so much. They want, you know, potency. You know, they want... Yeah, you, know, you see a little to... boom in French uh, vermouth cassis, right. which was popular in the 30s with the uh, creme de cassis and French sure. vermouth, you know, and like cafe society in New York. Sure. But... but well, they, they... And they're probably mixing with champagne, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you might as well, right? Might as well just splash some in there, you know. Soda water, champagne, same thing. I mean, you know, that's where you get the French 75. Exactly. Tom Collins, what if we make it with champagne? (laughs) Boom! There goes my head. Right, exactly. It's like being shot with a cannon. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so so this this Negroni thing, for whatever reason, doesn't really catch on here. And then, uh, and in Italy, it's kind of lurking. It's being made in Florence. Yeah. You know, but it's not like it's not well, one like of the, the big Americano drinks. is still that's still popular, it's still huge. I mean, huge yeah, in Italy, yeah, yeah, and, and that's cafes. you still hear about right at, at, in the 30s. And yeah. but but you know, you don't hear this variation, right? Then comes the war, Italy gets completely destroyed, right? right? You know, it's there was fighting the whole way up yeah. the boot, you know, it was it was bad. And after the war, uh, Italy was you know, it was in bad shape, but everybody was. It's funny, I got a copy of this book, Fielding's New Guide to Europe. This guy, Temple Fielding, was a journalist, right? And in 1948, he published the first travel guide for Americans to Europe after the war. And he didn't do the usual, here are all the sites. Yeah. It was like how you get around yeah. what's going on. You know, it's, his book is pretty much non-PC. He gives right. you, like, little uh, paragraphs for each country about, like, prostitutes, for instance. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, on the other hand, so that's a little seedy. But at the same time, he gives you, like, right, like, travel, food, hotels, like, which ones are good, how the people are ripping you off, whatever, whatever. And, uh, you know, England sounds grim. Uh, Germany's not even in there because you can't go. France is, like, not so much fun. But Italy, he's like, okay, you know, these people are kind of chiseling here and there, but you'll have a good time. <laughs> Because the Italians did something crazy after the war. They just sprouted like this thing, the Dolce Vita, you right. know, the, this, this kind of international glam jet set that hadn't been there before the war because of the fascists. And suddenly there are all these American movies being shot there because if you made money in Italy, you couldn't change it and take it home for a couple of years after the war. The money oh. had to stay there. And Italians liked American movies, so the American movie companies are filming all these movies in Italy to use the money they've got there. And then they're releasing them. So you've got yeah. all these American movie stars, uh, and they're all in, like, staying in two blocks of Rome on this, like, Via Veneto, there's this one street. There's, like, two blocks with, like, four grand hotels yeah. on it and a bunch of cafes, and everybody's out in the cafes. And uh, the giant neon sign, right? Isn't that yeah. isn't there on one of the hotels for uh, Martini yeah. and Rossi? Yeah, there was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and it was just like it was madness. You know, all the Italians are dressed up. The Americans are dressed up. Everybody's sitting at the tables. And what are they drinking? They're drinking Campari. They're drinking Campari soda. They're drinking Americanos. They're drinking a lot of dry martinis, yeah. too. But they're also, it turns out, drinking the Negroni. And it, I think it starts, I can't prove this, but I suspect strongly it starts at this one place, the famous Café Donnay, because Café Donnay uh, was, after the liberation of Rome in 1944, they started to rebuild this thing, to build this new café there. And it was the same group that owned Café Donnay in Florence, which was an old yeah. café there, and had bought the Café Cassoni where the Count used to drink and where they made the Negroni. And so it's the same owners. Right. And they opened this new cafe in 1946 on, on Via Veneto. Yeah. And I got I can't yeah. think that that's a coincidence. Yeah. 
you know, that suddenly the Negroni pops right. up in Rome yeah, and on, on this stretch. And the Negroni turns out to be perfect because for Americans, it's stronger than the Americano, which we find weak. <laughs> for Italians, it's stronger for the, than the Americano, which they find risky and right. kind of like, woo, <laughs> well, all right, here we go. Yeah. I'm drinking strong drinks now because uh, it's the post-war right. and I'm going to be American style about this. <laughs> and uh, so things, things kind of go nuts. And the Negroni becomes kind of the kind of the symbol of this. And Americans start bringing it back to America as the symbol of this. Yeah. You see it advertised in like the New Yorker, you know, the place for sophisticated people. Right, we get this whole new idea of Italy, you know, fancy, yeah, you know, exactly. race cars. Race cars, yeah. jet sets, Sophia exactly. Loren. Right, exactly. You know, it's all like sophistication, Marciano, sex yeah. appeal, right. you know, beautiful people, right. uh, fast cars, as you said, motorcycles. You've right. got Roman Holiday, one of the most charming oh, yeah. movies ever filmed. Right. And, you know, and, and, and Vespas that's... Vespas start coming out. Yeah, like, yeah. Vespa is another post, post-war right. thing yeah. that they invented, you know, out of necessity. Right. Uh, just to get people moving, and uh, suddenly it's also stylish because <laughs> it's got this cool design, right. yeah. and uh, and that was the sort of the Italian way, yeah. and uh, and suddenly like the Negroni becomes a symbol of something which it never had been before, and as a symbol of something, it gets into America and it becomes like a symbol of sophisticated drinking, and that's like what like we're talking so like, in the fifties and sixties, right. you and, see the, see the first national ads. For Campari uh, pitching it is the, their big campaign was in 1969. Okay, yeah. And uh, I, you know, started. I was drinking them uh, at Italian restaurants in the 80s. That was the thing you drank in Italian restaurants. You know, if you wanted a cocktail, it's like let's have a Negroni. <laughs> the recipe's on the back of the Campari right. bottle. You know, I encountered it in Italy as as a when I was right. a kid. People were were drinking them. Yeah. They're, they're more popular. Uh, in the 60s and 70s than they are now, I think, in Italy. I mean, it's the national cocktail. Everybody admits that, and then they go on and drink Aperol spritzes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, Negroni's like, enough. that's a strong drink. Right. I don't think, they, they, the Italians have gone back to normal. Right. It's like, mm. yeah, no, it's just too strong. Too strong. Too, too strong. strong. I mean, in America, it seems like it, it comes here, but you think it almost... To, dies out with a lot of other cocktails too like uh, you know it's kind of i think it it doesn't become hugely trendy in the you know 70s 80s but by that point it's gone to ground in the italian restaurants and there's so many italian restaurants in america there's enough to keep it going and when the cocktail revival comes around here's a drink with like obscure bitters gin and vermouth those are three things that the cocktail revival was all about. And it's almost like Fernet Branca, you know, yeah, another staple exactly, of Italian restaurants exactly. and like people find yeah. their way into that. Yeah, tomorrow. and bartenders start doing shots of that. Right, and then it's sort of a jump from Fernet to the Negroni. Yeah. I, mean, I guess they could have gone left and gone to Sambuca or something. Yeah, right. But, but that was too sweet. Right. You know, that was and that that was <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, too, yeah, too, no because this this is like bitter and challenging. Right. And that's what bartenders wanted right. was stuff that was like the antithesis of the 70s sex drink. You know? Exactly. The Galliano. Yeah, the, they, 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 they didn't want like Harvey Wallbangers and woo woos. Right. They wanted stuff that was challenging right. so they could seem badass. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we see, like in the recent time, yeah. the sort of, yeah. you know, uh, recent trend of Negroni or how it becomes so super popular. In, yeah. In well, now it's broken bars. out. I mean, yeah. it's like you got bros calling it Grony. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> How's my groanie? Where's my groanie? Got to get my groanie on. <laughs> I've seen that. Or I've seen people having them, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and having, you know, four in a row or something. Yeah, which yeah. Boggles my mind. Yeah, it boggles like, my I mean, mind too. They, they think it's like, like it's like midnight. I mean, yeah, you know. No, it's a, it's a, it's you know, for me, it's a, it's a before dinner aperitivo yeah. or a late afternoon, you know, uh, well, sipper. And the other thing that we see, I, I love where people swap out the gin for you know bourbon to make the boulevard yeah, yeah. or now mezcal or tequila, and everybody thinks they're you know home bartenders and professionals that they're a genius because oh my god, I created a whole new Negroni. Yeah. I've swapped yeah. in a you know like. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's still in the groaning. I mean, mm-hmm. it still, still works. I mean, yeah. and, and it's easy, too, because it's obviously. Forgiving. It's a forgiving drink. Traditionally, what, like, I mean, roughly one equal part, right? I mean, yeah. depending upon your yeah. palate, you know, some people dial up one or dial down Yeah, another, some people, uh, originally, some people dialed down the uh, the the uh, vermouth. I mean, not the vermouth, the, the Campari. Campari. Yeah. Or, and uh, traditionally, other people dialed up the gin. Right. Uh, <laughs> Leave it to Americans. Yeah. And, you know, I always like it maybe a little. If I'm drinking it on the rocks, I like it equal parts yeah. with a splash of soda. Kind of twist, I guess. Or... Yeah, orange twist. Yeah. I don't need the slice of orange because I never eat it. <laughs> so, but the, twi- the, pe- the twist right. of peel I like. You know, now the, the rocks version seems to dominate. But, you know, is there Yeah, know, there, there, there was a, or... Well, if you look at, maybe it wasn't called the Negroni, but right. in Paris back in the 20s when they had all those Campari drinks. Yeah. There was the the straight up version. There were several different names for it. There was the Cardinal. That was one with just a little bit of Campari. There was the Campari Net, which had more Campari, and uh, and uh, that that sort of became the uh, the up version. And uh, you know that goes back to, like I said, Paris in the nineteen twenties. It's old and kind of like also looking at the Martini story that you did. You know, there's so many versions of the Martini yeah, yeah. that have so many different names or versions of the same it's a, yeah it's the same but, damn recipe it's, it's just yeah. slightly tweaked yeah. to the guys like i'm yeah. gonna call something else it's like yeah i'm gonna register this trademark because yeah. i'm just gonna swap two letters yeah, you know, yeah. But. i mean but you know that's sort of uh yeah that's that's the those guys are actually doing it right right because they changed the, <laughs> they changed something you're supposed to right. change the name exactly. it makes history confusing right. you know it's like i just found this new drink well it's not that new right. <laughs> Negronis have become, at least in our community, so synonymous with June or late June because of this created Negroni week. I, yeah. can't, I mean, what, I can't even remember how many Negronis, 10 years? I can't even remember yeah, how it's many. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. But I mean, it's one of these funny things because it's it just like the daiquiri or yeah. the margarita or the old-fashioned become a year-round drink, yeah. or even the mink julep is creeping into that. You know, well, where, I mean... June is kind of good for yeah. for the Negroni week because that's when the climate here starts to get really Italian. For it sure, but I would say you know it's almost it's it should be seasonal, like you know yeah. June, July, August, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you know, and, or year round in New Orleans. Don't be afraid of putting a little soda. Or again, yeah. like I said, make yourself an Americano. You can make them really big. Yeah, <laughs> and call yourself a count if you. Yeah, want. if you want to, if you want to call yourself a count, but that, I'm not going to argue. But with don't you. go higher. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't no, say no, that you're a, a king prince, or a prince. No, prince is Count, really nobody will check yeah. the count, I guess. Baron is also good. Right. Baron and Baroness. Yeah. That's always a good one. Well, enjoy uh, your Negronis uh, to you, Count Longridge. Uh, <laughs> Baron Rothbaum. <laughs> a pleasure as always. A pleasure as always. Cheers.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.